Welcome to Asia Rising, the podcast of La Trobe Asia, where we discuss the news, views and general happenings of Asian states and societies. It's been more than two years since Joko Widodo, or more popularly known as Jokowi, was elected Indonesian president. While his election occurred on a wave of high hopes and high expectations, little was known at the time about how the new president would approach Indonesia's international affairs. My name is Beck Strading and I'm joined here today by Dr. Evi Fitriani, Head of the International Relations Department at Universitas Indonesia, to discuss Indonesia's approach to foreign policy under the Jokowi administration. Thank you for joining me today, My Evie. pleasure. Good morning. What are the key characteristics, in your opinion, of Jokowi's approach to foreign policy? President Jokowi's approach to foreign policy has several characteristics that distinct from uh, his predecessor. The first I could see is his emphasis on the doing what they call it pro-people uh, foreign policy, meaning that any uh, efforts in foreign policy should be directed to help what people need, like to enhance the economy development of Indonesia, to fulfill people's needs for some international action. Uh, for example, helping Indonesian citizens who has problem abroad. So that's kind of uh, foreign policy he really would like to have. That's why during his presidency, we have seen more efforts by Minister of Foreign Affairs to uh, do more to help Indonesians who got some legal problems in foreign countries. That's the first characteristic. The second characteristic is because of that's very much a focus on uh, direct impact on the people, uh, he seems to put Indonesian foreign policy in a short-term perspective, meaning that he wants immediate result of that action. While we know that in foreign policy, it's not all action can yield result immediately. Sometimes we have to nurture for several years, even maybe several generations, because relation between countries needs trust, and trust building needs time. But this is what has been done at the, the last two years. Uh, I hope it will only short-term uh, phenomenon because uh, we should also think about uh, long-term uh, impact of foreign policy rather than only short-term. The third characteristic is he emphasizes also on the more nationalism and not really nationalism in narrow sense, but meaning uh, we have to uh, guard uh, sovereignty Indonesia more. It means that he put more emphasis on the border issues to try to develop and strengthen Indonesian border. We have very difficult and long maritime borders and land borders with 10 countries around. Not all of them have been settled. So it is one of his priority. And the last one is uh, his determination is quite strong. It's quite di different with the, his predecessor that seems indecisive. Uh, foreign uh, policy undertaken by Jokowi look much more firm. So you mentioned that Jokowi's leadership is quite different from his predecessor, Susili Bambang Yudhoyono. SBY was known as, you know, a bit of an international statesman. He was very much concerned mm. with status and image. Uh, in what ways is Jokowi different? Those two leaders are different in their personality. Jokowi Dodo is a, a decisive person, being a businessman before, so he used to with several characteristics like troubleshooter and so he would like to emphasize on the how to solve the problem rather than just to put it under the carpet and then he would like to do something quick he also the one who tried to respond what 
should be done rather than just delayed for many years. And lastly, I have to also emphasize that he very much the one who emphasized on the substance rather than image, rather than covers. So for him, it is important to do what Indonesia people need and also to do what the country needs rather than only create a good image abroad but maybe didn't really bring impact to the people. I think there were projections when Jokowi first became president that he would be focused a lot more on domestic politics and would potentially take a much more nationalist stance in viewing foreign policy. Do you think that those projections have come true? Well, we have to put it in a broader perspective because all the country foreign policy actually is to fulfill the national interest, uh, like in Indonesia and also in Australia. So what he seems to focus on domestic actually to strengthen the economy because there are a lot of problems in the economy. For me, he also understand that foreign policy start at home. If your uh, economic development at home in dismay, who will trust you? Who will trust you as a competent international actors? So you have to strengthen your backyard. Domestic performance is the bedrock of foreign policy in any country. It's true in Australia, it's true also in Indonesia now. Uh, So what are the sorts of key threats and challenges that Indonesians, foreign policy elites perceive in contemporary international relations, particularly within the Asia-Pacific region where we see a shifting balance of power and the rise of China? Yeah, it's quite difficult now and I think all countries in the region uh, face a quite dilemma considering what happened in our region. In one side, we depend very much on China as an economic partner, very important economic partner. But we also know that China has been very aggressive in South China Sea. In that sense, we need another partner to help us maintaining the stability. And here we, uh, we also have United States, and this is a very difficult situation. For me, I think this is one of the challenges for Indonesia as also in, for Australia. Mm, yeah? yeah, definitely. That's right. one of the key challenges right. for Australia so as well. Uh, this is the area that Indonesia and Australia actually can make a cooperation. Talking about shifting power balance within the international Mm. arena, discussion about whether or not Indonesia is itself an emerging power or whether it has the political and economic capabilities or capacity to become a great power in international relations. What's your view? Well, I think Indonesia has a lot to do if it would like to be a competent player in international relations. But uh, what is priority for Indonesia now is to get our economic and politics and security aspect done well. So we have to strengthen our economic performance, economic development, and also continue democratization in Indonesia. So we have a strong and stable political system, but also we have to maintain sufficient or minimum force to defend the country. At the moment, Indonesia do not have capability to do that because of not only difficult territory that we have to defend, like maritime border, but also we don't have sufficient Navy and also Air Force equipments because the limitation of the budget. This is what we would like to do by 2045 when Indonesia have to celebrate our first 100 year. At least we have come as a nation that can defend its own and also can be on itself without have to depend on other country. So actually, this is the aspiration of Indonesia, not very much to be a big power uh, that aggressive. We uh, focus more on the inside, how to be on our own. 
don't do not depend to other country. That's an interesting observation because since independence, Indonesia has promoted a vision of foreign policy that is free and active, where sovereignty is viewed in terms of independence and non-intervention. And this suggests a large degree of consistency in foreign policy. So I guess my question is, how much does leadership and the individual characteristics of a particular leader like Jokowi actually matter for the essentials of Indonesian foreign policy? Very, very good observation of Indonesian foreign policy. Yes, I think leaders like Jokowi can carry out this mission, this value uh, quite consistently, but not all of them. Previous uh, president maybe have more international connection, have international tendency. So for him, maybe sovereignty cannot be limited as a non-intervention like that. So, well, we are living in the globalization era where the intervention can be transferred or perceived differently. So intervention in what way? For Indonesia, we still would like to see that we are free from any intervention, not only physical, but also non-physical, including the promotion of the norms or the values that we think is not suitable with our culture and our political value. So as long as it is good for our country like democracy, I think we can adopt it. And it has done quite well in Indonesia. But other things like liberal country or Western country try to push forward for the human rights. Ah, This we have to discuss. What kind of human rights? Because what perceived as normal human rights in Western culture may be not similar with the Indonesian one. So this is the area that Indonesia have to be very careful. Otherwise, we seem ourselves being intervened by other countries. I mean, it's quite interesting talking about the pressure that countries have sought to apply to Indonesia on particular issues, Mm. one being the use of the death penalty. Uh, And that kind of brings us around to Mm. Australia and Indonesia's relationship, which has experienced a number of kind of scandals and crisis over the past five years. You know, we can think of the Australian ban on live cattle exports, allegations of spying, the ongoing tensions over asylum seekers and, of course, the Bali Nine executions. Uh, and both Jokowi and former Australian Prime Minister Tony Abbott uh, were accused of looking at international relations using a, a domestic mm. political lens, which seems to have contributed to a kind of serious deterioration. Mm of the relationship from about 2013 to 2015 Mm. when Malcolm Turnbull became Australia's Prime Minister. So how do you see Jokowi's attitude towards Australia and how has his leadership impacted upon Australia and Indonesia's bilateral relationship? Well, as I mentioned before, Jokowi's priority is economic development in Indonesia in addition to the strengthening or gardening our sovereignty. So for him, it's important to find a partner in international uh, system that can support this mission. In this aspect, Australia under Prime Minister Tony Abbott doesn't seem to fit in this category. So this is why I think these two leaders sometimes we cannot work beyond what we actually looking for. So in that case, uh, maybe the, the cooperation didn't develop that much. But in the other side, the negative aspect, like the issue that you mentioned, developed so uh, robustly, like life cattle issue, etc. And Jokowi uh, took a very firm stand in his decision, especially the exclusion of the two of uh, drug trafficker from Australia. Not because he is 
anti-human rights. For me, came back to his personality. He just wanted the work done. And these executions should have been done several years before that during the Yudhoyono's presidency. But he just didn't do it. He delayed. So now Jokowi had to do it. I think he did what he has to do. The reaction from Australia was, I think, uh, not helpful. Australia used megaphone diplomacy, which is not suitable at all in Indonesia and any ASEAN country. Megaphone diplomacy doesn't work. In Asia, face-shaping diplomacy is important. You humiliate people if you do something in public like that. So rather than bring a positive impact that you expect to, actually it worsened the situation. So no one responded positively to this kind of diplomacy. This is what Prime Minister Tony Abbott had done. The more Australia pushed Indonesia at that time, the more President Jokowi firm in his decision. And that is partly linked to the ways that Jokowi responds to his domestic audience. Yeah, to some extent, that's also because he was supported. For Australia, this is a human rights issue. Yeah, But for Indonesia, no. This is how we handle the criminal who bring drugs to our country. And not only that, we already have fixed a legal decision. So we just do what we have to do. This is the law that Indonesia still adopted, capital punishment. So uh, he has to do what he has to do. So Indonesian people will see it an intervention to Indonesian law and Indonesian sovereignty from Australia because uh, have pushed Indonesia to the direction that not in our legal system. If we have to delay it, that means we treat Australian differently. If we have to delay this Australian one, how about others? If we continue executing them, there will be a discrimination against us. So we are also that accused being discriminated. So that's why the push, the pressure from Prime Minister Tony Abbott have been seen as an intervention to Indonesian law. It seems that there are particular issues that Australia and Indonesia can effectively cooperate on when their interests align. For example, perhaps in the area of counterterrorism right. uh, after September 11 and after the Bali bombings. But there are others where the interests seem so divergent that cooperation seems to be impossible. What do you see as being the kinds of central challenges facing Australia and Indonesia's bilateral relationship? I think the two countries have a lot of potentials to cooperate together. But sometimes there are some fundamental challenges in the relation. We are very different in terms of culture and values. And because of this, it creates also difference in how to see issues, how to see interests, how to see phenomena. To some extent, maybe we can share opinion like, as you mentioned, counterterrorism. Both are challenges for us. And I can also mention about the need for sustainable development. Uh, we share that interest. But other than like human rights, especially, and how to treat the life cattle issue, it has been seen as a problem. Based on Australian values, the norms that you use, you will see it from your perspective, and then we will see it from our perspective. And this has created a lot of challenge. So the different culture have created a different point of view and then create problem. So this is what I think the basic challenge of the two countries. But I would like to say that the difference of culture doesn't mean that we cannot cooperate. What we need is to respect each other. You know our standpoint. We know your standpoint. Why don't we respect each other? Okay, don't push Australia to use Indonesian perspective, don't push Indonesia to use Australian perspective. We just respect each other's perspective and then we try to solve the problem together. Communication and further interaction is very important. 
in this case. Finally, both states are pursuing foreign policy based on this idea of economic diplomacy. Right. Under the Turnbull government, there's been these renewed efforts to uh, engage Indonesia in a free trade agreement. So are you optimistic about the potential for Australia and Indonesia to form greater economic and trade relations moving into the future? Oh, we have had this ASEAN and Australia-New Zealand free trade agreement. It's already concluded. So actually Indonesia as part of ASEAN and is already there. But what we would like to make is even deeper than that. So bilateral relation with Indonesia and Australia in economic cooperation. So now they are negotiating our comprehensive economic partnership agreement, SEPA. And it's expected to conclude in 18 months. I think that's quite ambitious. But taking into consideration, this draft actually came first in 2013. It was postponed because of very difficult uh, political circumstances. Hopefully, there is a more conducive atmosphere between the two countries to push forward for economic cooperation. But it doesn't mean will automatically go well because... Australia have an interest, Indonesia have interest. And if people talk about money, they are very firm. But we have to realize that we are both have potential and we can have a win-win situation. But there is also another hurdle. We have a different economic level. So from colleagues that doing this negotiation have been told that Australia very much emphasizes more on the service. While Indonesia still look in terms of commodities. So this is the differences in focus and because of different economic development level, uh, can create problems. So this is why two countries have to uh, talk and communicate more so they can accommodate its other needs. If we target for that, I'm sure we can get some improvement in the relations. Thank you for talking with us today. My pleasure. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Asia Rising, a podcast of La Trobe Asia. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe to Asia Rising on iTunes or SoundCloud. And while you're there, leave a rating and a review to help us spread the word. Thanks for listening.